unfiltered, uncensored, and unapologetic. This is the Retail War Zone Podcast. Everybody, welcome Andy Greskoviak. God, I knew I was going to blow it. Uh, no, he did great. Um, Griskoviak. But this gentleman, you know, provided the industry with a, a great present as far as I'm concerned. Um, so we're going to have him tell us a little bit about himself. We've got some questions. He's worked retail. So we'll be talking about those experiences. Um, going to be a fun night. If you guys have questions or whatnot, hit them up in the chat. And without any further ado, Andy, tell us a little bit about yourself, sir. Right on. Thank you so much for having me. First and foremost, it's very, uh, very exciting. Um, I, as, as you were saying, I, I wrote a movie called Black Friday that uh, that premiered in, in limited theaters, but on streaming uh, over the holiday season and now is on uh, most VOD platforms, DVD. Uh, but before that, leading up to it, I worked retail. Right. And it's a movie about retail and retail workers and um sort of the the plights they faced regularly and then sort of supernatural threats as well. Um, but yeah, before before we made that movie, I worked retail for, we were just talking about it for like nine years. I worked in different service industry jobs, so I know it well. And uh, all the stuff in the movie was pulled from super personal experiences, relationships I had in the workplace, pe- encounters I had with uh, with customers. I just dropped something. I'm sorry. Um, But uh, yeah, so so that's I I come from the Midwest. I'm from Illinois. I was born in Chicago. So technically I'm from Chicago, but raised in a suburb, Um, went to DePaul for film school and and moved out to California to like pursue the dream, right, To, to make movies. But the whole time, the whole through line through this entire experience was retail. So I, the entire journey until I was actually making a movie, the, the, I have a retail job that corresponds with every step of the way. So um, that's a bit about me. I could I could share more. I can't share less, but I could share more. Uh, if you Well, you know, we'll, we obviously know you did the movie, but let's get into your retail background a little bit. So wh- where did yeah. it all start? Started when I was, so, so, when I was in high school, I never worked like a real job. <laughs> like it was always um, like I, my mom was a real estate agent. So I worked with her real estate office and like would put those flyers on, on your mailbox. Like that was me, right, for uh, a summer and like helped take care of my grandpa for a summer, which, you know, you don't, it's not a real job. And so then when I entered college and, you know, those, in the summers between, I started looking at retail jobs because I thought, it was like, a, especially specifically at Toys R Us, that was the job I wanted during summers because I felt like I was like, this is great. It's a fun place. Like I, this is, it's going to, I'm going to work a fun job uh, during the summer. And so I applied at Toys R Us, got that job, worked there for only like uh, six or seven months, uh, quit because I was doing the commute. So I was going to school in the city and working to- at Toys R Us Friday through Sunday night. And so that, or Thursday night through Sunday. Um, and so that, that was kind of that. I quit just because the commute was, was weird. Then I would work intermittently uh, between Bath and Body Works and um, a store called Things Remembered, which was like a personalized engraving store in, in uh, our local mall, Stratford Square Mall in Bloomingdale, Illinois. 
Uh, and they were in the same mall. So I would work at both of those places uh, for a couple years throughout the rest of college. Left college, went to work at uh, a, retail, a men's retailer called Bonobos. So that's like an online retailer, but they have storefronts. Um, and then they got bought by Walmart. So I worked for like the big one for a little bit and then finished up at a place at a, a, a small like boutique furniture store uh, that I was fired from. Uh, and then I worked Instacart, which isn't retail, but that's that's the service industry. And then made a movie. So that that's my timeline. So I never really chose a retail lane. I just worked in stores. Somebody in the comments said, oh, my God, I know Stratford. I lived in Naperville. No way. That's awesome. So, you know, probably two or three better malls and then Stratford, which I love. Stratford, but it's and that that's another thing. I think there was always um, I think I've always tried to beat the system with my jobs. And so I was always trying to find the place that was like fun or maybe gave me that nostalgia kick. And so even that where it's like I worked at Stratford Square Mall, it was not in its heyday. It was like far past its prime, but there was the part of me that was like, oh no, this was a fun place I would go to and like have a blast when I was a tween or whatever. And so I just, I worked there because I thought maybe it could be fun. It never was. I always, they always got me. Well, you know, uh, Blame Tag asked as fun as you thought it would be. And that kind of goes to like one of the scenes in the movie, um, mm-hmm. you know, where your character's talking about the dream of working at the place that your parents dropped you off or took you to as a child you know, referring to a toy yeah. store. So would would that be accurate as to how you felt about working at toys? Oh man, the the that entire monologue from Chris. So Chris is a parable for for me, uh just in that neurotic germaphobe uh retail employee and that whole monologue he has is that's from my life. Uh, except it wasn't my dad. My dad wasn't like Welcome to corporate hell, but people were, and it was, it, it, I remember thinking when I got the job at Toys R Us, this is not hyperbole or a joke, but when I got interviewed at Toys R Us, they give you a box of Legos and they were like, build whatever you can imagine, pass your creation to the left and sell me what the person next, it was a group interview, what the person next to you is past you. And so then I get I get the job and I go home and I remember even being like, no, the interview was like pretty lighthearted and silly. Like, I think I got a fun job. I think this is going to be really fun. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, it was it, in my mind, it was the place that when you were a kid, you would beg your parents, like, Could we please go to Toys R Us and just like meander through the aisles and just look at toys we don't have. And so I thought, like, here we go. This is going to be great. And it was really brutal. It was really, really tough. I will say this. I've got to mention this to everybody that's watching. So, you know, they gave you Legos. As far as I'm concerned, anybody goes to work in retail, they need to have some time with Legos so they can at least learn how to stack. Seriously. I, I <laughs> there's, there's a lot of practical uses in, in the Lego world, but I not... Uh, I, I was so confused when I was like selling this birthday cake somebody built and I was, yeah, and, and, uh, I was like, it's great. It's yellow. You're going to love it. And I thought, I thought the job would be a lot like that. It's naive. It was my first job, but, uh, yeah, it was, they definitely, before I clocked in for the first time, they weren't saying it's not like this. You know what I mean? So it was, yeah. So did you work through a Christmas there? Mm -hmm. I did. Um, it's, yeah, well, even worse, um, I quit the week of Christmas. So I 
worked through the holiday season and uh, through Black Friday, which uh-huh. uh, was bad. And then I worked through Christmas, and, and they asked us all to put in our day's requests off for the week of Christmas. And Christmas time, at the time, as you got closer to the holiday, Toys R Us would stay open longer and longer. Until the week of Christmas, it was never closed. That's um, right. I, rem- I remember 24. those days, yeah. Yeah, and so... Um, and the, the, you know, it's so parents can shop whenever their kids are finally asleep and I, I get it, but they came to us and asked like, okay, what, what time would you like off or what days would you like off for the week of Christmas? And I remember specific putting in specific days and I can't remember. I do think one was pretty coveted, but like swinging for the fences going like, can I get Christmas Eve off? I'll work Christmas day. And somebody coming to me and saying, you're actually going to work Christmas Eve for having the audacity to ask. And I was like, weird. And I, it was right at the time where I was kind of like, the commute's already killing me because I was primarily living downtown for school. And so that was kind of the straw that, that broke the camel's back. But really, it's that the first, it's Thanksgiving and the two weeks following that are, are the shit show. And I was there. It was, it was wild. I would go in some days at like 5 a.m. to just make shipments and like uh, just like packing boxes of toys to send out to people. I felt like an elf. I felt like I was one of Santa's elves and it was wild. It was exhausting Mm -hmm. and draining. And I just remember me and a lot of of other people. And it's weird saying this now on this side of the movie and this side of a global pandemic, I already got sicker than I ever got working that schedule. And I just, it, it chewed me up and spit me out. And a lot of people on that job would just get exhausted or sick. And you just kept going. You just kept working. And uh, yeah, like I said, it was pretty, discouraging, but also, you know, you fall into a routine where you're kind of, you're doing it, you're going through the the motions. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was an impersonal job Uh, in that. I got a fun question for you. Um, A hero asked, do you recall what the toy was to get the year that you left? Totally. Two things, because I had people screaming at me. So one, there's a toy called Skyland. Yes. That was like, yeah, it was you would it was like a toy. You would put it on a platform and that toy would it would you could play it on your PlayStation or Xbox or whatever. So that was huge. And the other one was they, there was a new version of Tickle Me Elmo. So this is 2011. So at the, it was something you could that had to do with like an MP3 player. I don't know if it was Bluetooth or if you could plug it in or something, but it was like a new and updated Tickle Me Elmo that I remember we kept making the joke like this is still I think Ken Bates who is the main that's that's Devin's character in the movie that's my actual buddy that worked at Toys R Us with me so me and Ken would hang out and just make fun of how like this was still a craze like people were still losing their minds over Tickle Me Elmo specifically I just told this story on another on another show but specifically I had a guy come in and ask for one of those Elmo toys and I said, yeah, we don't have them. And really seriously, he was like, can't you just go in the back and build one for me? And I was like, what do you think we do here? Like, that we're just like in the back with hammers assembling toys. But that, those were the two. I remember people losing their minds off of. And then Apple products uh, because it was a they partnered with Apple. And so I remember on Black Friday, we got like five or six iPods and like four or five iPads. And people lo- that's such an irresponsible. Yeah. Number. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, people lost their minds. It was, and they all felt entitled to to those Apple products. So, those were the, those were the big ticket items that year. 
Um, it was weird because it almost got it was at a point in the store's trajectory where it almost got to a point where, like, we would get surprised if somebody left the store with a bike or the kind of the classic fun right. toy because it was all it was all tablets and little, you know, video games. And wow. Stuff. All right. So we got some questions that have come through. Uh, Hybrid Hooligan asked, did Kevin Smith's clerks influence your decision to write Black Friday? Oh, man. OK. Sorry. If I'm talking too much, please no, let me know because I right always ahead, sir. love Kevin Smith was such an inspiration um, in that in two ways. One, um, obviously shining a light on people in the service industry. Right. I I recently said that, like, grow, especially working retail, you watch clerks and you would watch wait. I would watch waiting um, the Ryan Reynolds movie. And as a retail employee, you're kind of like, where's ours? Right. Because so that that was a huge thing. Just people going through their workday. And sort of like actively hating it while still working it. Like just seeing that as a movie was huge for me. And um, just from like the screenwriting principle of going with what you know. And that's a guy who knew a convenience store in New Jersey and wrote a movie about it. And just that I pitched this script when I was in college because uh, I because of that principle. What do you know? What what could I write about? And I, at the time, I was like, I know a shit ton about the ins and outs of a big box toy store. Um, so there was that. And there was also uh, his movie Tusk. He made a movie called Tusk in 2014. was hugely influential in uh, just the monster stuff. Actually, Bob Kurtzman, who made the monster, the walrus monster in Tusk, came on to make our creatures um, and it, because it just really helped solidify this love for practical creature effects. This side of 2010. Yeah. You don't see it a lot. It's a lot of CGI. So, yeah, Kevin Smith, hugely, hugely inspirational. Um, yeah. Uh, another question, uh, if I can find it here. Um, Irish Connection asks, what movie or TV show depicts retail most accurately other than your movie that you're aware of? Big fan of Superstore. Always a huge fan of Superstore because I think it really shines a light on what makes – because I always had such a soft spot for working retail even though I would – come to resent a lot of retailers. Um, and that's, you know, a lot of it is, and what they depict in Superstore is those, like, relationships. The people you meet, the friends you meet. I, I, I know the feeling of clocking in and going, oh, Ken's working today. Nice, right? Like, it's maybe not going to be the easiest day, but it's going to be a fun day. Like, there will be fun parts. And so I always thought Superstore did a good job of establishing that camaraderie uh, that that I would feel. And... Um, Maybe make it, you know, showing that like a shitty work day could be made a little bit nicer with with some friends and with some good people around. Yep. Um, Doodle Piz asks, have you had any backlash from retailers or corporate America over the movie? No, none. Um, you know, I think uh, if anyone did take issue with it, I'd be happy to talk to them about it. I've always thought. The concept, I've worked a lot of Black Fridays. I've always thought the concept of it is disgusting. Um, and it's just, it, it keeps getting longer and longer. I mean, the again, the schedule they work in my movie uh, was the schedule I worked. And so you say goodbye to your, your parents. You say goodbye to your family on, Christmas, on Thanksgiving because it's like, oh, I got to go work all night. And then the rest of the weekend, you're either working or sleeping, you know, and that's, it's a huge bummer. And so that, uh, 
I, I might have forgotten the question because I've just been rambling so much. But um, oh, about corporations contact. No. And if anybody did, I would I would be happy to have that conversation because I have I still take a pretty great issue with Black Friday and these made up retail holidays that are just it's nothing to a consumer and it's living hell for an, uh, an employee. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. So this is going to be a two parter. Um, the one question is going to kind of piggyback to the other. Blame tag says, I want to know how the hell you landed this Dreamcast. I somebody must have been me or the director, Casey, must have like wished on a shooting star or something. Because it it we'd get these like lists of names from our casting director. Uh, and they would they'd say, Well, who who would you think? Right? And it's kind of a tough thing because you got to think, well, who fits the voice of a character and who could we kind of help fit the voice of a character? And so then the list started getting shorter and shorter until it was like, well, what do you think about Bruce Campbell? And I'd say, wow, I mean, yeah, that'd be great. If So, okay, let's make a list of like 10 Bruce Campbell types and we'll try. And it was then our producer was like, no, he's in. He, he wants to do it. I think a lot of it is um, a story. Uh, people like to get behind a story that needs to be told not to pat. I'm not patting myself on the back at all. I'm just saying like that, the story of retail employees, I think it, especially given the time it was shot, we shot from, uh, we shot in November to just before Christmas, 2020. And so I think it was a story that a lot of the cast responded to as far as, um, just, you know, we were in a time when it was like, yeah, we're all in home in our homes, uh, avoiding a pandemic, except for, you know, service workers and, and essential workers. Right. And so I think it was a story a lot of people connected with, um, and I think it was, yeah, I mean, it, it was a fun environment to play in for, for a couple months, right? It was a, it was a good time. It was a really silly time. So I don't know why everyone agreed to be in the movie. I'm, I'm eternally grateful to all of them. Everyone was so gracious with their time and energy and, um, everyone was wonderful. I, I yeah, I'm. I am surprised as well. well. Th this is the second one. This is Proto Rage saying, I have to ask, movie-wise, did you have a geek-out moment having Bruce Campbell in the movie, especially with his big claim being Evil Dead and been a character employee of S-Mart? Yeah, it was. Absolutely. The the um, the first time I met him was, it, I was, it was just, you know, not necessarily starstruck, but more just sort of like, I can't imagine you will want to talk to me. Um, it was really exciting though, because one, he was able, I again mentioned this on another show. He'll always bring you back down to earth because if you complain about anything, he'll talk about working on evil dead with like a crew of like four people <laughs> or whatever. And how, so you can't complain about anything. Um, but also really, really dug the script for what it was and what it was doing and saying and liked the characters. Like any time we would bring up Evil Dead or anything and say like, oh, do you see similarities? Do you think he was always drawing that line in the sand going like, nope, this is a separate character. It's a whole separate thing, right? This isn't an Evil Dead movie. And he would always say more than anything, I see it as like a breakfast club movie. He said, he, and he's like, that's why, that's why he loved it. That's why he loved, uh, he, he came on board. He was like, it's a character movie. It's a movie where we get to see people connecting and yeah, fighting monsters. But he was like, you know, you don't, you're never rooting for heroes who got who have nothing going on, right? Who don't have 
who you aren't compelled to, to, to root for, who, who aren't going to survive, who you don't care to survive a story, right? And so he always thought that the characters were something to kind of grab onto and, and fun to explore. So that was, I was excited to meet him and also uh, very humbled because he was just a cool, regular guy. I mean, it's Bruce Anytime Campbell. I mean, it's just like, whoa. Anytime he passed it. So I, I, I was really, really tight with Ryan Lee and Stephen Peck and Ivana Beccaro on set. And anytime he would be like near us and we were having a conversation, he would chime in and he would have thoughts or whatever. And we were always, I think, very stunned. Like, why? You care about what we're talking about? Because it would always be insane. You know, it would always be something so silly. But I guess it was that. I was more really impressed with how just real and cool he was. But, you know, having that name attached had to help with the draw. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think he's got a certain stamp of approval, right? I, I don't know that Bruce has been in anything um, that isn't exciting. And so it's like getting him on board. And what's really fun is obviously, especially having the movie be the genre it is, a lot of people bring up Evil Dead. But I've had so many people who have connected with him in different projects uh, that it's great. I think he's he's a part of everyone's cinematic life in mm-hmm. one way or another. I mean, so I've had people mentioning Sky High, which came out when I was in eighth grade, right? And it's like, yeah, no, and if he will talk to you about it. He'll talk to you about the Spider-Man movies or, you know, it's it, it's cool to have someone who's such a seasoned vet in the movie and to all, a seasoned vet in the genre put their stamp of approval on it 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 meant a comment just came through hero 130 says quote unquote they're never really dead (laughs) oh man he uh he was so on board to be silly um the first draft jonathan's pretty much just the heel the boss is just he's he's the bad guy right he's the one who's kind of like hey we should all um you know keep keep on keeping on right let's go back on the sales floor but when bruce came on he added such a weird energy to it that we actually kind of tried to give him a redemption arc. But in doing that, he also is kind of this weird Greek chorus commenting on the mythos of these monsters the whole time. Because because he could. He can juggle it, I think, so well. We could give him, like, oh, be funny, be heartwarming, be kind of evil, and also uh, thread this needle about the mythos of these monsters. And he could do it all. So it was— it, Go ahead. Yeah. No, it was just that. It was it was impressive to see, but it's like once he came on board, we're like, oh, let's beef up this character, not just to get him in the movie more, but it's like, oh, I think he could he could do this. Yeah. Um, to your point about you know threading the needle or whatnot, um, and the redemption arc, Proto Rage says, I admit at first his character was definitely one that you didn't want to like, but then his character growth to wanting to be accepted and be a good leader. Yeah, I think you know everyone, and and there's this scene. Um, Thank you for watching, uh, by the way, commenter. Um, but there's, I, I think everyone ends up in retail for a different reason. I tried to convey it in this this scene where they're all sitting in the warehouse. And I think deep down we're all human, right? And we all, we'll all have different commitment levels to any given profession. And I always, I have an undying respect for people in the service industry, right? It's just, it, it comes with the territory. And so I got to a point where I thought, you know, Jonathan isn't purely evil it just takes him a little bit longer to come around on the survival of the group over the survival of a store and when you're in a management position when you're in you know i i think it's you drink way more of the kool-aid so you're the guy who's going like no we gotta stay open longer than anybody else but i wanted to show him eventually come around and eventually 
find what he was looking for. Well, what was done, and and I think it was amazing, you know, if you've worked in the business, is the age difference between Jonathan, obviously, and the staff. When you look at Mm -hmm. that just visually, that's kind of the attitude you would expect the old salty manager to have. Yes. Again, pulled from experience. You know, I had I, I had a manager who was a bit older in one of my retail jobs who was kind of like that and kind of was the he he felt powerful in the store. Like he would that it was his domain, you know, and it was the place he got to be in charge and 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 uh, be the top dog. And it's like you know. I think it's only human to let that power get to your head. I don't necessarily blame anyone for that, but it's like I hope something brings you down to earth, whether it's a monster attack or just a good talking to, you know? And I like him being a lot older than the staff because it creates, except for we have um, Ruth, who's who's a bit older, but it creates a disconnect, I think. Well, I think you did. I think you portrayed that correctly. Yeah, I mean you—you you wrote Thank that you. perfectly, and, and Hybrid just t- chimed in. Brian was one hundred percent the villain. <laughs> yeah, yes, I've I've worked with many Brians. I've um, it, uh, Stephen, it was great. Stephen play, Peck plays the character Brian and brought just the, and they've never worked retail, but they've worked uh, in in other service industry roles, and um, just brought this like snide cruelty to the character that was so real and it was so uh fun to see because i think everyone's worked with somebody like brian everyone's worked with someone where it just like just get under my skin in such a specific way um and you know i always this is a i guess a a spoiler a, a thing is i always the story i wanted to tell the people who perish who die in in black friday were to me the people who were going to stay at We Love Toys forever. And the people who get out are the ones who would eventually have gone on to find another job. And that's not a bad thing. It's not, um, it's not, if you stay at a, a job and work your way up the ladder, that's great. It's, and so I don't think, I think people that are ostensibly good and bad die as employees of We Love Toys. But I always just looked at it as who would stick around? Who would stay in this gig for a bit longer? And I think. Brian is somebody who, yeah, the customers would be the death of him, and he would definitely suck up and pander until he was the manager or, you know, a regional manager. Uh, I'm sorry. The scene with Brian trying to talk to your monster and getting flicked like a paper football was hilarious. It was great. I always pictured it way more shouty, but Steven played it so just like he was actually trying to have a conversation with this creature, and it, it was so funny. It ended up, it came up perfectly. All right, so so let's get into a little of the Hollywood stuff. Um, so you you had told me off um, off stream you had been writing this for what about ten years, right? Yes. So yeah, kind of walk us through. This is this. We're going to get into some uncharted territory here because I'm sure a lot of us are curious how this works. So walk us sure. through pitching it who optioned it and like from the time somebody optioned it, how long it came to fruition. Okay. Awesome. So, so like I said, like you said, wrote it for like 10 years. Um, it started out as a script in college and the two main characters were both 20 something guys who were like work sucks. And then, you know, I would edit it and revise it. But 
over time really came to think like, oh, what if Ken is like a bit older, right? What if they're not in their 20s? Oh, what if he kind of likes it here? What if he's like the coolest guy at the store? So that was the big development and kept changing kind of what the monsters were and went through a couple bouts of people being interested, which is like a devastating holding pattern to be in because it's just basically like people circling the script going, we're reading it. We like it. We might do something about it. So don't, you know, don't be sending it out. And so that happened uh, a couple times to me. And then when I was at my final retail job, uh, met Casey online. Casey's the director of uh, the movie, and he's also made some wonderful documentaries about Aerosmith and Steven Tyler. And he uh, had another feature, a narrative feature called Happy Birthday that came out in 2016. And there was this website where you could pitch to people, to creatives and uh, managers and agents, and, and I found Casey on it, pitched him this idea. Uh, he responded and was like, send me the script. And I sent him the script, and then he emailed me and said, send me your number. And I sent him my number, and he texted me. He was like, I think we could do this. I think we can make this movie. And Casey, um, his his movie Happy Birthday, he got he had packaged it with Gersh, this, this um, agency. So he's like, I think we could take it there and see what they could do with it. Uh, went in, pitched it. Um, they really dug the idea that was January 5th, 2020. Wow. <laughs> so then wow. the world shuts down shortly after. Yeah. So we do like the first initial meeting, January 5th. I take another, and it, it was just a shocking juxtaposition because I take my second meeting and it's like a completely vacant office compared to, you know, I went in first and there's all these assistants and whatever, all this business going on. Second time I go in empty office, the guy I'm meeting with is like, I this I think COVID's gonna be pretty bad. The next week the world shuts down. Um, which you know, I'd done this a couple times, right? So I was I had gone through like the oh, people are interested, we're in this holding pattern. So I was like, great, that was fun to do it again and um fell through, and that's cool. And Casey and I uh we started we would kind of chop it up and we'd see what was going on in the news, and we're like, oh, could it's still a really fun story to tell. Is it too close to home? We took out just anything. It never was a huge infection movie. I know, you know, it's, I, I think there's one guy who's like, I don't feel so good, but I, otherwise we never, it was never quite like that. And, uh, but we just wanted it to put, make people forget, like we didn't want to mention COVID or anything. And so we did a polish on the script and then around May, cause also, you know, when the pandemic began, we were like, yeah, it'll be two weeks. Okay. It'll be a month. It'll be whatever. And so around May we were like, okay, I think we're stuck in this for a minute. Let's send it out to people. Let's see who who is interested because Gersh was still all in and they had a, this wonderful Rolodex of talent. And we sent it out to Devin Sawa. He was really into it, really excited to get back into the genre. And then it all kind of, then we brought on the producer and then it all kind of fell into place. So it was like this thing that was given the green light before the pandemic stalled and then really, yeah, it really started to come together mostly in summer 2020. Um, and so then, you know, we brought in our producer, Warner, and we had this really wonderful casting director, Brandon Rodriguez, who, who it really felt like overnight brought in the cast. Um, and then by October, I was in Rhode Island. We filmed it in a town called Attleboro, Massachusetts. And uh, so we moved to Rhode Island for two months, my wife and I, to enter the production bubble. And we filmed it for six weeks uh we were there for two months and then we had a couple because it was the holidays and so there was time off i think altogether it was like a five-week shoot 
Um, and then came back and did post-production in L.A. where we just sat and it, you just watched the movie. I think I've watched the movie How, 300 times What's now. a typical just watch it. post? How long oh, does that take? So it's interesting because this is my first uh, feature film and it took us about six months, uh, five months. And I think that's pretty typical. Um, mo most of our CGI is just it's patchwork, right? It's going like, oh, you could see something here, so let's color it out. Um, so a more CGI-heavy movie, definitely longer, but most of our stuff was just cleaning it up. Uh, so it was about five months, and that was all that's editing the movie together, scoring it, doing ADR where the actors get back in the studio to re-record lines or, or to, you know, add sound effects. Um, yeah, so about, f it was around August... Like August first, twenty twenty one, that I sat down and watched what everybody come Wow! Watch. So actually, the post takes longer that took longer than the actual filming. Is that correct? Absolutely, and it's it's um, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. So you're watching, you know, everyone's watching the movie uh, a, a thousand times, and we're compiling notes, and you know, I'm watching cuts of it and going like, oh, oh that line, maybe it's a bit we could re-record it, or maybe this shot's a bit uh, a bit quick or and so you're taking then everyone's notes from like 10 different rounds of screenings and trying to apply them into a movie that everyone agrees on and luckily we were all really on the same page with what we wanted the movie to be that was another thing we are a smaller movie um and so we didn't have anybody like any studio execs breathing down our neck saying like you got to change this so so we were all that also helped. now were you we under were a major studio page. umbrella or was it totally independent Independent, and um, then we were we got bought by Screen Media. So they they did some other. Uh, they just did. It's called Willy's Wonderland. It's an Nicolas Cage movie, and they they've been wonderful. Um, but yeah, we we were on our own. Gersh was the big driving force behind it in, in terms of pulling and financing and um, bringing the movie to life. But yeah, we we really had our own creative control, which was. Excellent, because there was a you know a lot of other things we were trying to manage. Right now, I'm, obviously, I'm I'm not sitting here asking you to to give dollar amounts, but I'm just curious how this works. I'm a musician, and I used to work with people in the music business, and I'm kind of trying to see if it's the same. So, when when it's optioned, yeah. are you getting like an upfront fee, and that's it, or are you getting something on the back end as well? Right on. So it's both, and it's all uh, in like fine print in a contract. But yeah, so you get paid. For the script, and then and then there's you get residuals for based right. on how, now, how it performs. Were you yeah. compensated on two roles? Because weren't you like an executive producer as well? In Only on the one role. Uh, executive producer more so was just I was on I was on the ground floor. I was the first person to get the project. You know, I, I wrote it and it was the first person kind of out there. Uh, shopping it around and then also was on set every day just because like I said it was that production bubble where it was like we entered and once we left we couldn't come back and so I ended up being on set and just like helping <laughs> like every day like if somebody wanted a funny line I'm writing it for them if somebody had a question about delivery or whatever because everything was so uh distant Right. So if Casey's talking to an actor about specific blocking in a scene another actor can't necessarily come up and be like hey I got 
kind of silly semantic questions because we're, we're keeping everyone distant. We're trying to really be conscious about overcrowding and what particles are entering the air. So I was there, you know, there's uh, Ryan and I and Ivana and I would just sit and chop up the script and, and kind of discuss different um, if a line wasn't working, how to deliver an alt um, or I mean, even stuff just like the layout of the store sometimes would catch us by surprise. And I'd be on set rewriting a scene for the day where it's like, oh, we, you know, we got to. It's really weirdly hyper-specific, but just scenes where it's like, oh, I wrote a scene where a ladder is outside of the store, but the ladder's inside the store. I have to write a completely different uh, resolution to another scene. So these these were the things happening day to day. Um, but you know, I mean, it. you talk about your cast and, and the stars aligning, the fact mm-hmm. that you were able to pull this off in 2020, man, I mean... I don't I, believe it. That's got to be historic. I got... I've got this, uh, it's on my desk, I'm in my office right now. I've got this We Love Toys name tag on my desk. It says, uh, it's an Andy name tag, and it says, I've loved toys since 2020 on the bottom, and it always blows my mind. It's such a weird thing to see that, like, any, that anything came out of that year, that anything got done, and, I mean, we we had a crew of 80 people, 80-plus people, like, that just, we all, so on the second day of filming, we had a pretty big COVID scare. Um, just a te- we, we were all getting tested so much and a test didn't read. But the company that relayed this info back to us would say you either have tests that are completed or, or tests that are negative or tests that are uh, not negative. And so we didn't know what that meant. And so we had to shut down for one day of shooting. And it scared everyone so much because we, we, we wanted to get this movie done um, that those next days of shooting, the following few weeks of shooting, we all took it super seriously and super everyone was really respectful of one another and what anyone, any department needed as far as, um, you know, space or uh, if necessary. Um, I can't even use I don't know the terms that different parts of the crew would use, but whatever people needed to get the job done in a safe but also efficient way. And everyone really hunkered down and made the movie together it's why i mean one of the few things and i would never like i I love this movie but it's one of the reasons why it never really like this in the original script there's hordes and hordes of people in the store right like just it's massive and because of covid we couldn't do that it was impossible and i and we always refuse to make cgi crowds of people so we we have the wonderful actors who came and gotten full monster makeup and, and acted as our monster shoppers and i'm really really grateful for them but um, yeah, everyone really, really hunkered down for um, the production. I did notice. So there was a logo revision, I believe, for the title. Because it, it seems like there, there's... So how did that come yeah. about? Because I noticed that there was a logo revision and then it had the tagline of uh, overworked, underpaid, and ready for the apocalypse. I love that tagline too. That's so good. I, I, li- I like it. That's the UK one. The UK got the tagline and they got the... Uh, logos yellow and black. I don't know why we got the logo. I mean, because you know, I'm not. I'm not. I didn't get to meet with anyone on the poster or anything. But um, the the font like certainly looks kind of Evil Dead e on the American poster. So I'm sure it had something to do with that. I'm sure it was like, oh, it kind of. And the text is red. I think it obviously implies horror, but Christmas. And I just, you know, I live in America, so I would imagine that's why. Um, and then the UK one, I think it just probably corresponds with, I don't know if it corresponds to maybe a big box retailer or something over there. Um, the thing I noticed about that and, and what piqued line. my interest on it was the fact that 
boy, if that doesn't go along with the retail issues right now, nothing does. It was like, okay, did whoever do this figure out, you know, a way to kind of coordinate this with all the issues that we have in the industry? Because it's like, wow, you know, that had to have, have some influence. Right. I think so. I would, I'd imagine so. And it was always, I, I always loved that idea. And, and early on, was always something we tried to work in. If we, we we didn't get any leeway with taglines or anything, but we always wanted to make something about being underpaid or like, you know, even one of the jokes was like uh, about fighting to save the world only for, it was like right. an hour or whatever joke was we made. But like just making it clear, like not only are they doing this against their will, but they're getting paid jack shit for it. Yeah, uh, I think I've cursed twice. You can curse all you want. I do not care. Yeah. Awesome. So uh, thank you. Whatever you need to say. Um, I do want to say that um, I was having a discussion with Hero. I was close, Hero. It was not a Toys R Us. It was a Babies R Us that it was filmed in. So, yeah. so I was close. Um, you know, you had said it came out like you wanted it. This is this is really kind of how you saw it being, correct? Yeah, yeah, it's it's either I always say everything is either just how I pictured it or in ways I never imagined. You know, um, Bob Kurtzman did our he, he did our creature design um, and would present us with sketches for monsters. And I would be I've never pictured our final monster to look the way it looks just because my brain didn't go that way. Right. And and but I was so overjoyed to see it um, and. Yeah, I, I love the movie. I and I, I told you earlier, I feel biased when I say that, but I think um, it it makes me uh, feel fulfilled. I feel like we at least, hopefully, put. I hope one employer watches it, one manager or or a retail employee, and watches it and goes, "Oh man, I don't get treated the way I deserve to be treated. I don't, you know, this work at Black Friday is kind of fucked, right? It's it's not fair or or uh, sensible in any way, and. I've gotten uh, more than anything, and the things that really I, I've, I've read a lot of positive reviews, which are exciting. But I've heard a, from a lot of retail workers, former and current retail workers, who watch the movie and and really feel like it's saying it's doing something, right? It's saying something, and that that means a lot. Um, just because that's who it was for. It always was. I was always so excited when it was just a script. I was so excited to send it to my friends in the store because I was like, Oh God, how funny, how, isn't this fun? This is a cool thing. And you know, it's, it's, it's for us. Um, I mean, yeah. that's, that's the beautiful thing. I mean, it's, there are things in there that the average customer or the non retail employee will never, ever understand or get, and it'll be lost on them. But if you watch this movie and you've worked in the business, it's just, you'll just start kind of like snickering. You know, just just over a little phrase or something or or whatnot, because it's so damn dead on. Thank you. It's you know, it's that's what I wanted. And I would leave when I was writing it. It's the best because I used to have a in, in some of my later retail jobs. There was a, a team laptop that you could send emails to clients out on and whatever. And I would type the script in my email drafts and then send it to myself. And then I would get off at like 10 or 11. And so I would work from whenever I got home till four in the morning, formatting what I had written in email drafts, right? Uh, boss gets a dollar, mm -hmm. I get a dime, right? And so, but I would leave, and any time I would leave with this email full of ideas, I would always think like, I wanna make a movie 
for retail employees, people to watch and go like, yeah, right on. But also, I don't just want it to be a reminder of your worst days at work because, you know, that I, that's where the monsters always made it so fun for me is it's like, yeah, it's not just purely like work sucks. It's bad and whatever it, it it's a little fun. You know, we're having fun and we're getting silly with it, but also hopefully making a case for, for, uh, so from place. a film standpoint, uh, is, is this kind of like your favorite genre, like the horror genre, or is there other things that you want to do? I specifically love right now horror comedy. I think it's, it's fun. I, the scenes like the, the, the scene, there's a scene in our movie where everyone's sitting around. I think I brought it up already talking in the warehouse, kind of talking about how they got a job at. We love toys. That's my favorite scene. Because it's like, oh, it's kind of scary. They're all going to die. But it's funny, too, because they're talking about the different reasons how they ended up here. And it's personal and it's um, creepy and, and sad and whatever. And it's just fun to feel so many things watching a movie. And so right now I'm, I'm loving horror comedy. That's just the space I really would like to live in. I think um, – Pursuing any script, I'm like, it's a horror. And then I just end up kind of writing silly bits or whatever where it ends up becoming a broader horror comedy. So what's your long-term goal? I want to tell stories. I want to tell stories and I also want to help others tell stories because we've all got a story. I think even if we wanted to get hyper-specific, right, and just speak to aspiring screenwriters in retail and you tell them all to write their 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 Black Friday idea. You'd have a thousand different, completely different stories because everyone experiences it differently. Somebody might write a rom-com about Black Friday because they're like, no, I love it. It's it's great. It's a really kind of magical day, right? Um, and so part one, I got a lot of ideas. I want to tell stories. I want to share my stories. I, I have a lot of fun writing and collaborating and, um, you know, sharing what I got to say and, and hopefully making somewhat of an imprint on this industry at some point. Um, but yeah, like I said, it's, it's a really hard industry to get a first chance in really easy, evidently for some people to get a second right. chance, but, but, uh, really hard to get your first shot. And so just even talking to creatives on set and talking to people afterwards, you know, I'd really, I would really love to help people get their stuff out there and get voice unheard voices heard. We're, I think, the movie industry and media as a whole, it's like, yeah, we're taking a step in the right direction as far as diversity on camera goes. And I want to make sure we're getting it behind the camera, too. And in writing, I, I, I just think there's a lot of voices that need to be speaking heard. of which. So I was going to ask you, you know, what would your advice be to somebody who want to get in this? Because Blame Tag, who was one of our loyal team members, had sent me something, you know, an idea he had had that I think that you would enjoy. So how how does he go about getting that to somebody? And I mean, it, it's a it's a retail kind of based thing, not too far off from Black Friday, yeah. but different. And um, where does he awesome. go? Awesome. So I um, there's a couple different approaches and lanes i always like to pitch the free ones first because uh, it's free um i there's a lot of great networking sites uh the one i always recommend is called coverfly.com you set up a profile you can meet other creatives writers directors producers share your ideas swap scripts meet people who 
might be in your neighborhood, might be in, in your neck of the woods, right, who want to help make a story come to life. Also, uh, it provides you insight into kind of what people are looking for, right? They'll do open writing assignments and stuff where people are, you'll get uh, people, like industry professionals who are like, yeah, I'm looking for a single location horror movie. And so then you could reach out and say, like, hey, what's up? I, I have this script idea. It's a retail-based horror movie or it's a comedy movie or, or it kind of matches what you're looking for. And that's free. That costs nothing. So it's I'm, I'm always like, go for it. Get your name up. Like just, and, and it's a really easy and concise way to collect all your – so I have a profile on there now. And it's like – and I did not create the website. I think it sounds like I did and I'm like trying to pitch it. But uh, it's just cool to have like – I've got like my six scripts uh, that are up there and it's like you can read the log line. And I've had people who go like, hey, listen, I just was passing through. I saw your page. Can I take a look at this one? And so it's just an easy, free way to get people to look at your stuff. Um, the stuff that that will cost a little more money that – but it – I would always set money aside when I was working retail like to enter competitions or – to do these pitch sites, right? Like a, a website like Virtual Pitch Fest, which helped me meet Casey. And at the time, I think it increased a little bit. I think it's like maybe 12 bucks a pitch now. Uh, it was $10 at the time. And so you'd buy packages and you, you write a query. So I would just ultimately, if you have an idea that you've written and you want to sell it, write a query, write that pitch. Say, hey, here's who I am. Here's my deal. Here's the story I wrote. Here's how you can market it. And you could even say it's it's... Black Friday meets something, right? Go ahead. It's if, uh, if permission to say it's similar to this, but meets that. Black Friday, we always, we took it around saying like, well, it's, you know, it's zombie land, but it meets office space, right? It's waiting. It's Dawn of the Dead, but it's it's waiting, right? It's silly, right? And so they, they put that equation in that query letter. And Virtual Pitch Fest lets you send your query to professionals, right? To people, I mean, from, from I, I got an email today that was like, NBC Universal is on Virtual Pitch Fest looking for scripts. And so you send it and they have five days to respond yes or no. But same thing. It's like I've met agents, producers, managers. I met the director of my first film on that site. And they specifically state same thing, what they're looking for. So I've I've met – I've found people who will post something. And it's like funny because it's almost kismet, right? It's like, oh, my God, you are looking for the script I have. And you just reach out and then you start that correspondence. So that's another one. Um, Script Pipeline is awesome for competitions. Coverfly has a really cool competitions uh, feature where you could just like filter by genre. So it's that. It's meeting people. And it's it's easy and it's hard. Outside of the pandemic, uh, I was going to comedy theaters all the time and meeting creatives, performers, writers. Um, I did UCB and I did Groundlings and that's how I would meet people to, to write and collaborate uh, and just overall create. Now I try to, it's a little bit more online, but, but there's definitely the space to do it um, and definitely people looking for it. If you've got a good idea, like that's, that's an asset, right? People want that. People could use that. And so uh, make yourself a commodity, put yourself out there and, and, and yeah, so your idea, man. Real quick. So the person who, the director who picked you up, through through this you said he did mm-hmm. uh a documentary on steven tyler and aerosmith is that right okay yes. How, yes. how about you get with him and and pitch a documentary on retail employees yeah i will i will it'll be so sad he's like i'm yeah. used to filming <laughs> Aerosmith. no i would love to do more work with retail employees because it's another thing it's it's and i've, I've said this on other shows but it's like there's something about putting on a name tag or a vest or whatever it is that or an apron 
that people just feel like they're separated enough from you to just treat you like garbage. And it's it's really it's wild. I've worked so much of it and it never stopped amazing me how strangely I wouldn't even say badly how strangely you get treated as a retail employee. So that would be that'd be a heroin. Would, but that's why like stuff like your movie is important. Anything like that is one more kind of like swing at those people, you know, and every little bit helps, whether it's comedic or horror or whatnot, anything, any kind of medium that, that kind of shows it. Hey, we love you for it. (laughs) I, well, and I thank you for saying that, that really, that means a lot. And I think, you know, a long-term goal in my lifetime, not even a per, I can't do, I've done what I can about it, but I would love to see black Friday, the retail holiday, end in my lifetime i think that would be nice because i just it's never to me it has always just been great uh i could look forward to a day coming up where i'm gonna get treated like shit even more than i usually do and it's it's just always gotten crueler and anytime i think like oh or when i worked in retail anytime i thought like oh i i think uh it's kind of the enthusiasm's kind of dying down this year of course the company would come forth and be like here's a new promo or a new product that's going to bring you through the door. And it just was always so it, it still to this day, that's Thanksgiving for me. Thanksgiving is oh, speaking is of which I have day. to say the entire scene in the stock room where he's talking about black Friday deals. Oh, that was beautifully done, mm-hmm. sir. Thank you. That was, uh, again, when we got Bruce, Casey and I were like, we could do some fun things here. And so we were just dropping, retail facts and and that was just another thing it's like we just wanted to get in that thing because that's a a big part of why black friday happens is the consumer right the people are going into the store and so it's like oh if we can slide in a little thing in the movie about how you're kind of getting tricked right it's always you you've got egg on your face after doing black friday black friday shopping hope and hopefully that just that changed one person's mind um you know, because it, it is a bit of a ruse. And what you're doing is you're saving maybe 40 bucks, right? Which is great. Good for you. But in return, you're making retail employees' lives pretty difficult uh, for the weekend. And that supply and demand, it only increases it, right? I, I forget. I've worked uh, for so one of the brands I worked for did a Black Friday, every Friday Ooh. thing um, for the month. And so it was like every week on Friday, there was new deals. But it, again, it's the consumer it responds to that. So I don't know. It's it's be kind. The 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 least you could do is go into a store. Remember, that's a person. I always uh, really appreciated when someone would ask me how my day was. Yeah, it goes a long way, and that's huge. I would do anything for the people who were like, "How are you?" and like genuinely kind of inquiring about my deal. And then if they were like, oh, can you read something for me that's up on a show? I would grab the ladder. I'd be like, that's fine. That's cool. Because I think you just see me a bit more realistically nice. than others. All right. So we're hit. We're right at just yeah. an hour. And I think the question that just came through is excellent because it allows you to pitch what you got going on. So Proto Rage X nice. asks, any big projects you've got your interest in the near future that have you excited? Nice. Yeah. That's great. Great question. Because I'm right now working on um, uh, it's a it's a slasher that's really fun. Uh, it's a uh, it's a tween slasher, which is funny to say out loud. It's always really fun uh, because that sounds wrong that you shouldn't do it. But um, in the same way that when I wrote Black Friday, it was a movie about um, 
the horrors of being stuck in a situation with your coworkers, right? No one that you necessarily trust, just the people you got to work with. And that was always so scary to me. And so this next one I wrote, it's about the horrors of being 12 and growing up. And so I just, I think it's just another way for the way I wanted to make black Friday was the same thing. You wa- I want retail workers to watch it and to feel like, Oh, you're not, I'm not alone. Other people feel the way I do. And I made, wrote this movie about tweens and it's very scary, but also very much about just the most awkward it's, it's, you know, if big mouth was a slasher and, uh, I, I want, I hope a kid watches it and goes, I'm not alone. I'm not, by this, this is a really kind of nightmarish weird time for a lot of kids. And so, I got that in the pipeline. I've got uh, a bunch of horror comedies I'm, I would really like to get off the ground. But, you know, something I've discussed at length with the people who worked on Black Friday is, like, we've just, in my opinion, scratched the tip of the iceberg uh, as far as Black Friday yep. stories go. And it's so many different industries, and I I would love to return to that world. Um, well, Hero had asked earlier, I forgot to mention it, were there any plans for a sequel, quote-unquote, Green Friday? Green Friday. It's so funny. I get I, I so many people will tweet at me like when Cyber Monday come in, when's the sequel Cyber Monday? I always say the sequel is called Small Business Saturday. I think that would be very fun. Um, I think anyone who's forced to go work that weekend deserves a movie. And so, yeah, I would love I would love to hop back into it. I think it just it's it's such a miserable weekend for so many people. You could do a whole movie about EMT workers. You could do a whole um yeah, there's so many stories to tell. So I've always joked about the sequel being, if we did a sequel, doing a direct sequel or doing a completely separate story. Doing the same night. So the same night, just a different Or business, you could do Cyber right? Monday People, and be kind of like scanners. <laughs> exactly. Right. And, and that's the thing is like the possibilities kind of feel endless. And you make it uh, – I, I recently mentioned just like these – massive Amazon distribution centers uprooting these smaller or lower income neighborhoods. You can make a whole story about that and what, how that affects these people. And, and nice. Yeah. All right, Andy, I got to tell you, this has been great. I have, thank you so much for being on man. Um, thank you. You know, of course I, I thought the movie was excellent. I think it's a good time. Anybody out there who hasn't watched thank it, you. please do so. I mean, the, it's not lost on you being in retail. Trust me, retail employees are going to get a right. whole lot more out of this than John Q public, but it's worth it because like he said, it's for us and, and, and thank him right for on. it because he did a damn fine job. <laughs> thank you very much. That, that thank means you a so lot. much, thank Andy. You. Um, let's see the audio of this will be up a little bit later. So probably about 30, 40 minutes, it'll actually be up and then you can hear it on like Spotify and all that other mess and it'll be there. Uh, Andy, if you ever have anything else coming down the pike or whatnot, you want to talk about, Hey, you're welcome here. Anytime you just let me know. Thank you very much. This was, all right, guys, everybody have a great night and we will see you next time.